Father, we just thank you for the morning. Thank you for a, a change in the weather. The, the coolness is, in my mind, a very pleasant thing. And uh, Lord, I enjoy the fact that uh, we live in a, a part of the land that seems so much more temperate in, in that. And, and Father, I just enjoy so much where you've put me, the people around me, the community you've given me in, in your in your house. And Lord, as we gather together as your people, help us to strive to proclaim your name even louder. Help us to be what we need to be, to stimulate each other to good works. Be a uh, reminder of you know, sin that has happened and a Savior who is able to handle all that. And Father, as we strive to be your children here on earth, help us to just have a, a clearer understanding, a brighter picture of you. And we pray that that will come through the preaching that will be done today. Lord, as we turn to your word, help us to truly be fed by the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And last week we had um, covered the fact that the new covenant as you'll be seeing in chapter 8 of Hebrews, is making a very strong point in that the first covenant was not complete, that there was a need for a second. Now, the book of Hebrews discusses the, the covenant of Moses as the first covenant. And, of course, you all know that the Bible is completely incorrect in that. Is, uh, it was not the first covenant, was it? So see, this is where some people sit there and say, see, the Bible's full of all kinds of uh, uh, fallacies, right? The point being is that the covenant made with Moses was a covenant that was probably the most, well, not probably, it was the most conditional. And Paul himself makes mention in the New Testament the fact that the promise made to Abraham superseded that covenant made with Moses. And remember, with Moses, there was uh, actually three covenants there. There was the um, Deuteronomic, there was the priestly, and there was the, uh, uh, you can call it the civil or... Uh, it's usually just referred to as the Mosaic Covenant, but it had to do with the, the civil governing of Israel. Now, the writer of Hebrews is making a distinction between that which was old versus what we saw quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Jeremiah 31, where the Lord says, I will make a new covenant for you. And he makes that distinction by saying, not like the covenant made previous. So, we get this idea of old and new from that, and, and that idea is so permeating that we even split our Bible into what's called the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The word testament is simply another word for covenant. So you have what, is, what people perceive as the old covenant and the new covenant, and even the best of churches will tell you things like, you know, stay in the new... New Testament, right? That's for you today. Don't worry about the old, right? And I want to discuss that a little bit. 
But a question was asked, which to me is an extremely pertinent question, and it does not get asked enough. And that was, why did we need a first covenant? If it's just going to be done in, what's the point? Right? Anyone got an answer? So that we could be brought back in relationship with God. The first covenant was brought so we might have a relationship with God? Because Adam broke it. Adam did break it, but did God not have some relation with man after that point? Not full Well, the trouble is, is he gives me a glimpse of man having such a relationship with him, with Enoch, that it says the two were walking one day and Enoch just didn't go home. He decided he's going to sleep over at God's, right? And he said to say, Lord, I would want this. See, you have these pictures that just sit there and say, Lord, what about me? What about me? It was Enoch that much better than me, right? And then you have Noah, right? I mean, that, that guy believed God in ridiculous things, right? Looked like a complete idiot out there, right? But push comes a shove, who floated off, right? He did it with his sons. And with all these changes, God put more responsibility on man. Man was supposed to somehow take that initial commandment of representing God on earth. Um, man did not want to take responsibility in government, but he changes out with Noah. Uh, man did not want to take responsibility in, in many other ways, and God kept putting on the pressure, saying, no, you were created for a purpose. You're not just created down here just to, to float through life. Men gathering women, women trying to dominate men. You know, this is not what the world was created to be. And yet you look at the world today and it's the same thing. Let's abdicate responsibility and let's just go for, you know, whatever we want kind of a thing. God puts the pressure on more and more and more and more. Now, once Adam fell, right away he was told, you need a redeemer. Right? And it was amazing because Eve heard that because the first child that comes out, the, the Hebrew that's used there is, I got a man child, even the Lord. And, and their faith in God was such that, hey, this could be the one who's going to redeem us. And who was it? Cain. Oh, shoot. Talk about ruining my day, right? Okay, but the, the thing of it was, was. There's a purpose behind it. Why do we need a first covenant? Why did it have to be? Well, we pointed out a couple of things, and we pointed out the fact that, um, first of all, the new covenant is made to Israel and Judah. It is not made to man in general. Now, if God makes a promise, a covenant, a contract with Israel and Judah, does that mean that God cannot apply that contract wherever he wants? 
whatever he pleases. Why is that? Because he's God. Because he's God. I like that. That's the answer I wanted. See, the, the thing that is, is God made a contract with Israel. And that is what the book of Hebrews is calling the first covenant. And we need to keep that together. Now, in a Jewish sense, do you have any problem with the fact that the, the promises made to Adam, the promises made to Noah, the promises made to, um, uh, how do I want to put the two, Abraham. Do you have any problem seeing that coming together and culminating in the Mosaic Covenant? Because a lot of people would say that the first covenant was made with Adam. And the trouble is, is I can agree with that in as much as a covenant was cut. And if you remember our study back in the, in the covenants, the idea of cutting a covenant is that of bringing forth blood to seal it, right? And Adam and Eve were covered, how? The blood of the animals, the fact that God did not allow them to run off with just fig leaves covering them, right? that an animal was slain in order to cover them. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, right? So in that, the Adamic covenant, if you want to use that language, would be that of rule, multiply, right? And after the fall, basically subdue. Now, before the fall, there was no need to subdue, right? There was no trouble with nature. Okay? Afterwards, you've got thorns, you've got weeds, you've got animals that want to eat you, you know, things like that. It's tough to get along with animals that want to eat you. Um, in fact, it's hard to get along with little animals that just want to bite you. You know, I, you know, people tell me how, you know, all, all creatures are good and this and that, and nine, nine out of ten people, all you got to do is mention spiders, and that's it. Right? No. You know, that's it. You know? Okay, but... What's that? Mice. Mice, yeah. Well, being deal with the Norwegian blood, I always use the lemming concept, right? Or I used to crack me up just going in the hills uh, in the fall. Um, when when the grouse, you don't see them as much as you used to. Used to be driving those old forest roads, going to go up and go pick up old bears or whatever, and that grouse would get out in the middle of the road. Here you are in your truck, and he's out there. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'll shoot this thing away, right? So I, I got the wife and kids in there, I'm going to shoot this grouse away, right? No. This grouse starts coming at me. You know who ran back to his truck? I ran back. It's an old grouse, but you know what? That guy was serious. I don't know what about. I've read books that tell me what it's all about, and when someone's in that state of mind, I leave them alone. Right? Well, it doesn't have to be very big, does it? No. But, but see, the curse was laid on in such a way. Okay? Now, the Mosaic Covenant comes, and Moses makes it very clear, and we read this in the last couple of weeks, that it's not very hard. It is well within reason to keep. Now, the question is, what are we talking about in the covenant where Moses say, says it's not very hard? Because I read from the time of Moses all the way through their history that these people couldn't keep nothing. Yeah? 
And all through Scripture, up until you get to these um, final prophets, you have the call to come back, come back to the covenant, all through Judges, all through Kings, all through Chronicles, all through Nehemiah, all through, you know, all that, come back, come back, come back, okay? But you get to these prophets here, and in the midst of this, you have implied a whole different picture. Because if, if you turn with me to um, Jeremiah 24, and we, we talked about this, or, yeah, Jeremiah 24. In Jeremiah 24, it points out the idea of the new heart. And if you listen to the way the wording is, you have the story of the, of the basket of figs, the good figs and the, and the, and the bad figs, in Jeremiah 24. And uh, in verse 7 it says, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord and they will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Now, the idea here is the good figs are going to be changed. And they're going to be changed miraculously. Now, with this, this change of heart, what we see is that the Lord claims He's going to do something. He's not saying, you have to keep this book of rules, this law. It's not a matter of coming back. If you turn back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, and hopefully we'll go a little bit slower this week so we can actually look up some of these scriptures. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, now if you read the context of Isaiah 43, you find out these guys are total weasels. It's all about the fact that Israel just does not measure up. See, I told you they came back late. <laughs> I mean, I bet you they just went to Sherry's and that's it. <laughs> See how much they love you. No, when you're, when you're in Isaiah 43, you look at the fact that it's all about Israel's shortcomings. It's all about the fact that they don't measure up. But in, in verse 25... He says, I, even I am the, the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proven right. Now, the point being is, when you get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, there seems to be a tone of change. If you turn over in Isaiah 2, chapter 59. Chapter 59. Again, uh, you're dealing with uh, the confessions of wickedness and what goes on in the second part. The first part of chapter 59 speaks of the separation from God. But when you finish this chapter, it says in verse 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth 
nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. So this is talking about a salvation that is generational. Now, did Israel ever have problems with generationally passing on the faith? This is something that is completely done by God. And by implication, what you find is you cannot do it. Without God doing it, it doesn't happen. Mm. If you turn over and go to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 11, we'll go to verse 17. Starting in Ezekiel 11, starting in verse 17, going to verse 21, it says, Therefore, says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries amongst which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Now this is fulfilling the covenant with Abraham, yes? Alright. Now again, remember that coming back into the land, how huge was that for the Moses during that time? Well, it's that's it. That's Passover, baby. That's that's going through the wilderness. That's you know possessing the land. Okay, verse eighteen. When they come there, they will restore all its or remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and to do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. Now again, we see this, this repeating of the, the, the Bundesformel, the, 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 the statement, the, the mission statement of God, which has been from the beginning, and you see it in seed form back in Deuteronomy, but it, it culminates here with the idea that I will be their God and they will be my people. And by implication, it's even though, even though this will happen. Now, when I say even though, is it because God has not fulfilled what he needed to do? Take a seat, guys. And I didn't even make an Irish joke about that. Lord knows in my father's house when a man entered a room, if he didn't tell him to sit down, he wouldn't stand there like a horse. Unless he gave him a Guinness and he'd sit. Alright. Now, in this, in this, this, this statement that is so full, and especially in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the, the formula being set that I will be their God, they will be my people, it is done in the idea that the new covenant will be unconditional. Who can remove your heart and give you a new one? You know? Now, they've tried. Uh, they do a pretty good job in exchanging ones. They give you a mechanical one. I remember living in L.A. when they gave the baboon one. Remember that one? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things they try to do there. You know, it, 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 it's kind of a funny thing. You know what heart seems to want to work the best in a human body? A pig heart. 
And I, I, I don't know why I find that, that humorous, but I, I sit there and say, Lord, you know, you sure have a way of just, just nailing me who I am. Now, um, if you turn over in Ezekiel uh, to chapter 36, in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22, this is a little bit long, but let me read it. It says, Therefore, says the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name that you have profaned amongst the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Mm. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and, and call for grain and multiply it, will not bring a famine on you. And he, he goes on about this. And then he fades right into chapter 37, which talks about the regathering of Israel and the dry bones and the, mm. the strapping on the flesh and all this. But But do you see the fact that God makes it clear that it's not of your part. It has nothing to do with you. It is me doing this. And yet, there is still very much distinctions made between the idea that I will give you a new heart, but still you who are found pursuing your own desires and that, judgment will come. Now, you ask, why did we need the first covenant? <coughs> And, and the, the funny thing is, when you get to, and we alluded to this last week, when you get to the New Testament, this was a huge issue, a large issue. Turn over to the book of Acts with me, chapter 10. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 is a funny chapter, uh, just to help set the scene. You have Peter, he runs down to the city of Joppa. And uh, in the city of Joppa, he decides to hang out with a tanner, right? A guy who uh, tans leather. Well, in the Jewish mind, there's not much you can do worse than being a tanner as far as being considered unclean. Because you're basically handling dead things all the time. So a tanner basically has to take vacation in order to go to synagogue, right? He needs a certain amount of time to get clean. So this is not the cleanest place. So Peter finds that he can hang out with this guy because this guy doesn't mind him being Peter and, and hanging out there. And, um, you know, it, it shows that Peter was a little bit tolerant, but see, Peter could have stayed there and still not been contaminated by the dead bodies, right? He, he could have kept himself clean. But in the midst of this, the Lord gives him a vision. And the vision is, a bunch of animals drop down on a sheet, and the Lord says, Go, Peter, eat! Now, the thing of it is, it's not all just kosher animals. It's all kinds of animals, right? So Peter, being a good Jew, says, Oh, no, no, not so, Lord, no, 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 no. 
Jewish boy here, right? Got to be kosher, you know? Mount Sinai or Hebrew National, something like that, right? I'm not eating, a, you know, anything with beaks and whatever else in there, you know? So, basically, the Lord has to rebuke him a few times and sit there and say, hey, you know what? What I call clean, don't you call common anymore. And it was hard for Peter to get this lesson over the fact that, look, you don't need to keep these dietary laws anymore. There's been a change somewhere. So Peter finally gets the message and he steps outside. Now, do you think the Lord... See, I would have thought the Lord would have just invited him to a good Baptist potluck, right? <laughs> Lord knows you're going to get everything from Spam to, you know, roast beef at those places, right? So... But, but what happened? The Lord says, no, no, no. There's a guy named Cornelius. A Gentile. And it's like, Lord, we were talking food, and now you want me to enter this Gentile's home? Now, a Jew would not enter a Gentile's house. Why? Because they boarded their babies and they put them down the, the well in the, in the house. A Gentile practice was keep your trash in a well in the house. And it was common for all the garbage to go down there. Now, don't ask me why it was the neat thing to do. Uh, they did it. But, uh, yeah, aborted babies, everything went down there. Mm. So, in the Jewish mind, it is a place of contamination. And just to enter it, then defiles you to where you cannot go to synagogue or have any association mm. until you go through a period of cleansing. So, excuse me, I've never heard that in my life. Where you have it from? No, let me explain. There was, there was, you know, in in the tribes in the desert, they took all their foulness outside yes. the camp and all that sort of thing. And what you just said, I've never heard. Could you explain that a little bit more? Because we like this guy was not a Jew. No, before you go to synagogue, yeah, you go through the purge. Yes, you know, you got all ceremonial cleaned. All these places got the little steps down and the little pool. Yes. Yeah. Please explain that a little bit more. Okay, I've never heard. That's that. for a Jew. Yeah. But see, no, I understand that's for. But a Jew. this guy living in the land was not a Jew. He was a he was a Gentile. And. See, it, it, it's very interesting to me that during the time of our Lord on earth, right, you have him visiting all these places around the Galilee, right? Uh, do you realize he never went to the biggest town there? What was the biggest town on the Sea of Galilee during the time of Christ? Tiberius. Yeah. City of Tiberius. Who lived there? Romans and Greeks. Romans and Greeks. And a lot of trade went on there. And no good Jew would live there. Yes? So you had pockets all over. Because remember, the time of the Gentiles started when? As far as the, the Jews. Oh man, we have the date. Give me the date. 605 B.C. 605 B.C. What happened in 605 B.C.? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah? See, they never have been truly free for, what, 29 or 2600 years? Yeah? 
Not since that time of the Gentiles have started. Now, with that, you had inside Israel all these pockets of Gentile life that Jews just ignored, ran around and pretended didn't exist. And our Lord, during the time in which he ran around down there, did not go to the Gentiles at all. In fact, it was amazing that a Gentile came to him, that, that one soldier, yeah? And the Lord used it to help teach Israel. And then you have the really tough lesson. Remember one time he wanted to kind of get away from it towards the end of the ministry? And he goes up to the city of Tyre with his guys? And you have this Gentile woman who wants her son healed? Now, that's a pretty good cause, right? Wanting your son healed. And so she comes to our Lord and says, Lord, heal my son. And what was his response? If you're ever going to take a class in evangelism, this is, this is something they'll never teach you. But, but what was the response? It's only for the Jews. He didn't use that kind of words, did he? He says, you don't take the children's food and give it to the dogs. I've come to the house of Israel. Wow. Tough. Well, what was it that she knew about him from reputation? She knew about him in his ministry to the Jews. She still was not willing, like the Samaritan woman was not willing initially, to put herself under the authority of the Jews, right? As far as following the true path. They all wanted to kind of their own way. And he had to make the mention of, look, God has set a path, do it. Now how many people sit to say, you know, I, I believe in God, but you know what? There's many paths, right? Okay, you can make all the paths you want. But if God made the road, why not follow it? Right? Was the point. But, I love the woman's response, right? Oh, even the dogs feed off the scraps from the table. Right? And, and the thing of it is, is true faith knows no, there's nowhere else to go but God. You have to go there, right? And just like Job, though he slay me, you know, there's nowhere else to go. Just like Peter, Lord, who else has the words of eternal life? Now going back to Peter, here he steps out and the Lord says, the first thing I want you to do is witness to Gentiles. So he goes in there. And what happens? The sign of the miracle of speaking in tongues and the descending of, of, of uh, fire as to give the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit, which is a sign given to the Jews. Why? Because they're all standing there kind of going, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Gentiles are accepted. Now, what is so shocking about that? See, to all you boys sitting out there, it's no big deal. Goyim means unclean. In fact, if you want to have a joke with a, with a good religious Jew, you just sit there and say, you know what sound church bells make? Goyim. 
Exodus. Now, when God found these people and wanted them to be a kingdom of priests, what do you need a kingdom of priests for? You need them to reach the rest of the world. But it didn't quite work out, so he broke it down to one tribe, and then he had to break it down to one family, and then he had to cut off half that family and kind of bring in somebody else. He kept having to whittle it down because they never fulfilled it. Well, what then is the value of being a Jew? Or having that? Ah, turn to Romans. Next book over. Romans chapter 3. When you start off Romans chapter 3, you got to realize that in chapter 2, he's already kind of slayed the Jews a little bit. In verse 17, he says, But if you bear the name Jew, and we, we lie upon the, the law and both in God, and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, and a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, teacher of the immature, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. You therefore who teach one another, do, do you not teach yourself? And he goes on and sits and says, hey, you who tell people not to steal, do you steal? You who say, don't be adulterers, do you, do you do that very thing? And he uses the law to knock them down. But when he starts in, in chapter 3, he says, what advantage has the Jew? Or what benefit of circumcision? First thing he says is great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. He says they have God's truth. Now, what is the purpose of Scripture? Nice. She likes to sing opera. She's got many, and she breaks the opera. I told her since we were having Sunday school, I wanted a Negro spirit. <laughs> she said it would be opera. But, okay, let's go back. What's the point of Scripture, folks? What is the number one point of Scripture? Teach Teach us about God. What do you need to know about God that you didn't know when you were a baby? Well, give, give, me, give me some examples. What didn't you know? His character. His character. How reliable is that? When, when, you, when you were a baby, did you understand the, the concept of holiness? Do you know how I know babies don't understand the concept of holiness? <laughs> they have no problem mixing uh, the, the, the unclean with the clean, do they? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, the idea of holiness is separation, right? Babies have no concept of that. Some people ask if I still have a concept, or ever got a concept of that. I'll, I'll leave that for others to go. See, the, the, the purpose of Scripture and the purpose of the oracles of God is that you might know Him. Know His character. Understand holiness. Understand the ramifications of sin. These are needful things. And that is the advantage that the Jew has. Now, drop down. Verse 19. Is it verse 19? What do I want? What do I want? Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Speaking of Gentiles and Jews. Not at all. For we have 
have already charged both that Jews and Greeks are all under sin, and he goes on into it. So he talks about the fact that as people, as far as having a sin nature, there is no distinction between Jew and that, right? But you do get the fact that there are the oracles of God, and what we mean by that is the revelation that reveals to us who God is. When you turn over to Romans chapter 11, Paul gets back into the whole idea of the Jew. In verse 25 he says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, this uh, quote in verse 27 comes right out of Isaiah 59, 21 where we looked up. And, and it has the idea of the fact that God is going to deliver them and do them. And all Israel will be saved. People struggle over the fact that what is all Israel? Well, the term Israel, it means, the name itself means to be ruled or to be governed by God. Remember, it was Isaac, I, no, Jacob, Jacob, which Jacob was a neat name. What did Jacob mean? Trickster, I like the word you used. Usurper. Supplanter, yeah, but basically it was heel catcher, you know? You little weasel, the guy who, you know, he wins the race simply because he can get close enough to the guy in front and knock him down, <laughs> then take it, right? But God changes his name after they wrestle, right? And I love that story. Why would God wrestle with him? I mean, me? Well, what's Jacob to God? I, I talked about the spider earlier, right? Okay, but he wrestles with him. Now, remember when you were a kid, you wrestled with your dad? <laughs> And, and he'd fight you in a way that, oh, man, you almost, I, I'd go tell my mom, I almost had dad pinned. You know, I'm four years old, right? But I, I was right there and this and that, and then he cheated and tickled me, and then he But here's God doing that very thing with him, with the idea that, what, what are you going to do? What are we going to do, right? But after this lesson is taught, he changes his name to Israel, right? One who is ruled or governed by God is what it means. Mm. And so you understand Paul's usage of that word all through the that word all through the New Testament because those who are governed by God are what? God's people. I will be their their God, they will be my people. That that same formula, right? So in this you have the fact that is all Israel just that or is all Israel Israel redeemable? Well, I don't know. I have to wait. Because when I look at the slaughter of Jerusalem back in 600 you know, BC, when I read Lamentations and, and understand the, the horror of what went on, even, even the fall of Jerusalem under the Romans, you know, after the time of Christ, why do you think the Jews killed themselves at Masada? Because the siege was so terrible. 
the, the, the carnage that went on, the cannibalism that went on, all the stuff that goes on, and you sit there and say, no, it ain't happening again, so what do they do? They kill themselves. Well, that's a great response, right? So then when it came time for the uh, Holocaust, they all march in there, and just if, you know, man's grown better and more civilized, no, that didn't work too well. So now you got Jews who sit there and will not listen to any reason, not listen to anything, and this and that, because we're never going to line ourselves up like that again, never drop our defenses, and yet, Scripture tells me a man will come that will just bring such prosperity and such wisdom and such everything, right? Give you a shot, you'll never die. Give you a, a, a mark on your arm, you can buy anything you want. Have such total peace in the world that all armaments will be destroyed. Isn't that what everybody wants? Well, what kind of an idiot are you when that comes to pass and you aren't voting for the guy? People are going to look at you and say, you know, there's nothing we can do with you people anymore, right? See, it's not easy to stand with the Lord. It's not easy to go by, you know, all this stuff. It's a comfort to me to go to a funeral of a, of a person who's been faithful to the Lord, whose family is faithful, recognizes the release, cherishes the memories and the heritage, and welcomes them home. It's a whole different thing when you go to a funeral when they're trying to gin up something, yeah? Even worse when they sit there and say, I don't know how we lived this long, right? And the sad thing is, is that happens. What we find in the application of the new covenant to the church is this. And we touched a little bit on this last week. You have this ultimate promise of Israel open to all men with no preconceived uh, conditions. Now, in the early days of the church, you had a guy named Marcion who sat there and says, you know what? All you need is the New Testament. All the answers are there. Get rid of that Jewish stuff. That God of the Old Testament not like the new. And you still have by implication that exercised very strongly in the church in as much as just study this. God is love. God is this. God is that. And then when people read the Old Testament they sit there and say, what? Kill all of them? Slaughter all of them? Uh, something's wrong there. It's a cultural thing, this and that, right? Well, wait a minute. We were taught God's holiness. We were taught about sin. We were taught about all this in the Old Testament. The trouble with the history of the church is, if you want to just stick to certain patterns, or certain, you know, put your veneer on and just cut out the verses you want to read and, and leave all the rest covered, then you can come up with all kinds of groups. Oh, let's see, what kind of groups are you here? You can come up with Mormons. You can come up with Jehovah's Witnesses. You can come up with uh, Unitarians. You can come up with... It. You can come up with any kind of philosophy you want. 
from the, the, the one end that sits there and says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Well, that's a great concept, right? <laughs> as long as I can convince myself I'm okay. Talk about the natural instinct of man to sin, right? Why do people do drugs and drink and be whoremongers? It feels good. <laughs> Now, what cracks me up is people who run around and go, oh, that's a terrible thing. You, if you do that, you, you're, you're bad. I said, no. Personal. It felt good. Right? So, the thing of it is, is quite often, when you're given one message out, they then try it and sit there and go, you know what? Everyone told me this was terrible. They killed me and this and that. I feel rather good. Whatever it is. Right? And the reality of it is, is, what feels good doesn't always pan out as good. What happens? I always told my kids that if you ever start gambling, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you win. The first thing anytime anyone dares to cheat on their mate in any way, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you get away with it. Why? Do it again. What? Yeah, tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, you think you can do it, and you can do it more, and you do it more, and you do it more. And how many times do you see people sit there and say, you know, I just about had enough of all those different girls and all this different thing and all this different stuff, you know. I, you know, I finally got it out of my system. I'm just going to go home to my wife, right? <laughs> no. They. They just start going faster and faster and faster, and just right off the cliff they go, right? And what God is trying to tell us about sin is it does not get controlled. Yes? You have to control it. You have to curb it. You have to do it, right? Well, how well does it work? How many of you used to bite your cheek, right? I, I like the old Pharisee thing, and during the time of Christ, it was the, the Pharisee group that was known as the bruised and battered. And you know why they were called the bruised and battered of the Pharisees? Because when they were walking down the street, if they saw any kind of sin, like a woman show up, or, you know, some guys yelling at each other, you know, using profanity, this and that, they would shut their eyes, cover their ears, right? And, and just shut out all sin. But to stop doing what you were doing was to show lack of faith in God. You had to keep walking. You had to keep doing things, right? So hence the term bruised and battered, right? Could you imagine doing that today, right? It'd be on the news report. Yeah, yeah, instead of another group of ducklings got run over, it'd, yeah, another one of those bruised and battered, they, you know, they hit the interstate. It's unbelievable what we do in playing with things, but see, Paul is pointing out the fact that the oracles of God keep you in check. Now, from a theological point of view, one of the most dominant views is that you can't understand the Old Testament unless you understand the reinterpretation of the New. And that is what most groups work off of, whether they're um, uh, covenant or even dispensational. This is an area I strongly disagree. There's a reason why God gave us something first and something later. Now, 
To answer your question about do you need the first covenant, no. It never was needed for salvation. God could have done it at any time. But if you look at the abuses of what the church, and I use that term quite loosely, has done with the new covenant, and not govern it in keeping it under the true faith of God, not that it has to be Jewish, far from it, but understand those principles, understand what God was trying to teach us in holiness, right? That is where you're driven back, and when you read the New Testament, how many times did these guys take us right back to the old, say, don't you understand? Don't you not know? God is holy. His word is forever. That heaven is what he is going to make for you. You're not going to create your own. He drives us back to it. But for those who want to ignore what was there, right? It's like the parables of our Lord. I love this. You ask people, why did Jesus speak in parables? Most people say, well, you know, he's talking a bunch of hits and, 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 you know, people like you, not the sharpest tools in the shed, right? <laughs> so he had to make the stories entertaining. And if he did it like Aesop and this and that, you know, you would always get it. Well, his disciples finally asked him one day, they said, well, why, why do you talk to them in parables? You don't always talk to us like that. Why did he say he did it? He wanted to hide the meaning. Who said that? Scott. Exactly. He says, it's not for them to know. Again, a very tough lesson. It's not for them to know. Then why are you talking to them? They have to have an ear to hear. Unless God gives them an oh, Go ahead. Okay, so we started this with... Uh, that clock's wrong. I got 10 after. <laughs> <laughs> we started by talking about covenants and testaments. Mm -hmm. And you asked, why do we need the old? Uh, why do we need the old if uh, basically we're under grace and free and all that kind of stuff? Um, so, to me we've been given this beautiful heritage of, of Israel, uh, even though they weren't perfect, neither are we. But, you know, we're, I mean, it really, we're, the Christian faith is a Judo-Christian faith, really. I mean, Jesus was a Jew, all his disciples were Jews, etc. Um, and yet, Jesus didn't come with this, you know, sort of a uh, let's open it up to everybody thing. Um, you know, I mean the the lady that right. that they said, no, you're you know, you're like a dog. I'm coming for the kids, right? Dog, you know. Um, and you know, they would typically walk around Samaria, even though you know he does go in one time and right. talk to one. Yeah, so he he. There's glimpses of things that Jesus does that's way out of the norm of the Jews, right? Okay, but they're really glimpses. So, I guess I'm asking you how you would answer the question about the old versus the new. Which should we focus on? And I mean, to me, it's a heritage thing, and you learn more. It's richer, 
when you understand the Old Testament and Jewish Absolutely. history, which I don't know about. Well, and you, and you understand who God is. And the fact that, look, all of us, when we have children, don't want them to get hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Well, grandchildren are different. <laughs> grandchildren, I had my grandson come up from Texas, right? And his mom, her big thing is, whatever you do, don't get hurt. <laughs> well, what did I do? I went out and bought him a motorcycle. <laughs> and first thing he did was grab that thing. You know, I tried to explain to him how the, the throttle works and that, but he grabbed it like a bicycle. So what do they always do? And then they won't let go, right? And he runs right into the rocks. It's all banged up and this and that. And, you know, you could tell he was going to start to cry and that. And I stand him up and this and that. I said, look, we don't have to do this. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. So we got on the bike. We get riding with this. Now when we get done, I said, I said, well, we need to take care of anything. One sock's all bloodied and this and that. And all that stuff. He says, he says, well, you're not going to tell my mom I got hurt, did I? Are <laughs> you? And uh, uh, I said, you know, there are worse things in life than getting hurt. Mm. And not trying is probably the biggest to me. And his eyes just were huge. He's like, what kind of an idiot are you? <laughs> but see, in Christianity, it's the same thing. We tend to say, oh, well, I want to be saved from this, I want to be saved from that, I want to be saved from you know, Hold it. God could have been saved from this whole mess and not dealt with any of this. But he invested because there's worth and there's relationship and there's love and there's so much to life. A more abundant life. What is a more abundant life? Is it me not craving to eat everything in the house all at once? Right? No! It's the fact that if I have something to share, I share it. If I, if I have the opportunity to meet somebody new, I do it. If I have the opportunity to, to find someone in need and, and pick them up, you know? And, and this is what the Lord demonstrates to me. Now, the point being is, Paul also goes on and says, it's given to us to cause a jealousy in Israel. A jealousy, why? Because what is so richly promised to them is so freely given here. And yet, what's the biggest problem in Christianity? What you're given free, you never value. I'll take Christ as long as it's cheap. Right? So then we get into this whole debate over lordship, salvation, and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord makes it very clear. Hey, you did this in my name, and this in my name, and this in my name. That was all for you. You have your reward in full. I never knew you. Why do you think it's important to keep communion in which you examine yourself whether you be in the faith? Because the number one problem with man is you take everything for granted. And not just that, you deceive yourself saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I walked an altar. I'm saved. The Bible never says that. It says, how do you love the Lord now, today, right now. Not what you intend to do in three hours and not what you did five days ago. So the question is this, you don't have to have the old covenant. No need. But if you really want to know who God is, 
You study him through all that and understand how powerful, how set in everything, how holy he is, how everything is. And he turned around and came as a man to become sin, to die for me. That's nuts. Why would you take the greatest of ever for me? But those people who don't understand the greatness of God. Oh, I want to debate with you. I don't think the Trinity can be. You can't have 300% of something. In your pea brain, you can't. <laughs> and in nothing else in creation can you, but in God you do. He is beyond your comprehension, and yet he gave himself to die. I can't. There's nothing more to be said. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for folks that are gracious to listen. But Lord, where we're accurate in turning to your word, I pray, Lord, you would just help the Spirit drive that home. Give us the reality of who, who you are. Your word says to seek your face, and yet your word says to see you is to die. Lord, help us to truly seek your face, that by it we might live, knowing that the breath that you breathe into us, the spirit you give, is eternal. And with that, we'll have fellowship forever. Amen.